Holy Father, thank you for each person who is here today. Give us all ears to hear what you want to say. Give us hearts that are open and wills that are willing to be obedient to your truth. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. wonder if you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you do. You know who he is. Others, that name might be new to you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, um, a German pastor and theologian who lived in Germany um, just before World War II and saw the rise of Nazism. And he was part of a group of pastors that started something called the Confessing Church. A group of pastors who would not bow the knee to Adolf Hitler. And then uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer got involved in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler, this pastor and theologian. And he knew what he was getting into. He knew the risk that this meant to him and to his life. But he, uh, in his own conscience, decided that he had to stand against this evil. And so he was involved in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. That plot was uncovered. He was arrested. He was thrown into jail. And then just before, I mean days before the end of the war, he was executed. And his final words recorded were this. This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. It was Bonhoeffer's faith that beyond this life, there is life eternal, that gave him the courage to stand against evil, even if it cost him his life. And and that sort of faith, and that call, the call to that kind of faith is what John is doing in our passage from Revelation chapter 7. I invite you to turn there. Revelation chapter 7 on page 9. And in this passage we see the Lamb of God shepherding His flock and leading them to springs of living water. Verse 17 leading them to the very presence of God, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John is writing to Christians who have suffered already for Christ or who have to be willing to suffer for Christ. They are identified in this vision, those led by the Lamb, are identified in this vision by an elder as the ones coming out of The great tribulation. You see that in verse 14. They came out of the great tribulation. Now, there's different ways to read the book of Revelation. (laughs) And there's lots of controversy over how to interpret the book of Revelation. The way I read Revelation and the way I read this phrase, the great tribulation, is that the great tribulation represents all the people who have suffered for Christ from, from the time of Jesus' ascension until he comes again. That's not denying that there will be an intensification of 
tribulation just before Christ comes again. But we have to remember that John is writing to Christians in the first century. He's not just writing about something that's going to happen in the distant future. He's writing about something that's happening now to the Christians. They're suffering for Christ. Some have lost family members because they've identified with Jesus. They've lost family members, friends. Some people have lost jobs, their status, their property. Some have been exiled like John. John's writing this because he's in exile because of his witness to Christ. And some lost their lives. Now, in the first century, the Persecution against Christians was, was sporadic. It waxed and, it's, and it waned. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't universal. It wasn't systematic. But there were times where, depending on who was in charge, there would be vehement opposition to the Christian faith. Nero was one such emperor in the first century. And some people believe that Revelation was written during the time of Nero. There's an ancient source that talks about how Nero persecuted the Christians in Rome. He blamed the fire of of Rome on the Christians. And he set some Christians ablaze themselves. And they were used as torches in the streets of Rome. Some Christians went through that in the first century. By the third century, persecution became systematic. Persecution against Christians because there was an emperor who decreed at that time that everybody has to honor the God's of Rome. They have to sacrifice to the gods of Rome. And you had to do that in front of a government official. And after you did that, they would give you a certificate to prove that you had sacrificed to the gods of Rome. And so this meant for the Christians at this time, they had a choice. Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? Am I willing to lose my life out of loyalty to Christ? Do I believe this vision of Revelation 7 that after this life, the shepherd who was slain for me will lead me to living waters? Do I really believe that? See, they had that existential choice right in front of them. Will you sacrifice to the Roman gods? Christians were considered a threat to Rome and its stability at this time. There's a story of St. Cyprian in the third century after this Decree went out. He was a bishop in Carthage, North Africa. He was brought before the governor. The governor said, Bishop, you're leading a group of people against our our ways. You are against the gods of Rome. And so I'm asking you now to sacrifice to the gods of Rome. And he said, think about your choice. And Cyprian said, I refuse. Governor, are you sure? I'm paraphrasing here. Cyprian said, I refuse. And then the governor said, then I order you to be executed by the sword. And Cyprian's response was, thanks be to God. I don't think that would have been my response. Pray that I would have a little bit of that kind of faith. He believed what John is saying. He believed the words of Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. And that kind of witness, friends, in the early church was a great testimony to unbelievers. 
And it helped the church to grow and to be strengthened. Well, one commentator, one scholar on the book of Revelation says that John used this kind of universal imagery throughout the book of Revelation. Like, for example, in our passage, this idea that there's a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and people and language standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, this, this universal vision. And, and, and John seems to suggest that, that um, all Christians might be persecuted for their faith. He doesn't, he doesn't predict it, and this is what the commentator says. Revelation doesn't predict that every faithful Christian will, in fact, be put to death, but it does require that every faithful Christian must be prepared to die. That's why John is reporting these things. That's why Christ gave this vision to him. Maybe this is not the Mother's Day sermon you were thinking about. Probably not the best Mother's Day sermon on a beautiful, sunny day like today. But then again, maybe it is an appropriate theme. Because mothers want their children to have the courage of deep conviction. And Christian mothers pray that their children would be faithful to Christ no matter the cost. And to be able to stand for truth and to stand against evil. None of us here will probably ever face the decision that the early Christians had to, to, to make, the choice that they had to make. We will, none of us here likely will never face a sword of execution. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to what? Take up your cross. If anyone would be my disciple, Jesus said, you must be willing to take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you must be willing to die. You must be willing to suffer the death of the self in order to be a disciple of Christ. Trusting that, that is the way, paradoxically, of true life. And that is a great challenge to us, this challenge of the cross, the cross representing the death of the self, is a great challenge today in our culture because our religion in America, friends, is the self. It is the religion of the self. The self is on the throne, whereas Revelation tells us who's on the throne. God's on the throne. These people are worshiping God. They're falling before God, not themselves, but God in the presence of God. The Lamb of God who was slain for the people of God are leading the people to the throne to worship God on the throne. But in our culture, the self is on the throne. Look to yourself. Look within yourself to find wisdom. Google offers employees search inside yourself courses. Because it's not about God, it's not about what's out there, it's got to be about what's in here. This religion of the self teaches and promotes self-creation, self-improvement, self-care, yes, selfies. We live in a world saturated with the self. 
do-it-yourself religion. What happens when everybody puts themselves on the throne? Guided by their feelings or their ideas. When everybody claims that they're a god. Can there be any deep unity and harmony in a culture like that? When everybody is claiming to have the wisdom and the knowledge and the way of salvation for themselves. It will result in fragmentation. Not unity. Here we see a vision of unity of the people of God from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. Why? Where's the basis of unity? It's in the worship of the living God and the Lamb who was slain for them. We all understand today in our culture we need something to unify us. And this is it, brothers. This is the ultimate unity that will bind us together no matter what our background or culture. And this unity will last into eternity, John tells us. We have to dethrone the self, take up the cross, and may God give us the grace to do that and follow Christ. So let me ask you today, are you looking to yourself Are you looking to yourself as your Savior? Or are you looking to Jesus who died and rose again? What in your life, what in yourself, needs to die in order to truly follow Christ? What attitudes, what thoughts, what behaviors are leading you away from Christ? Today is the day to... Offer that to the Lamb who was slain for you. To come to the cross afresh and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust this promise that by following you, dying to self, I will find the life I'm looking for. And the thirst that I have will be quenched. The Lamb who was slain calls us to follow Him. And He says, beyond the cross... There is salvation. After the suffering, salvation. After the pain, there is the shepherd's provision of his people. Look at that at verse 15. After they have come out of the great tribulation, this is the provision that the shepherd gives them. This is the salvation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Before the throne of God. This is a place of great privilege to serve the living God, to be in the presence of the King of kings. They are before the throne of God and they're serving Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They experience the great privilege of being in His presence and then they experience the protection of his presence he will shelter them with his presence they will hunger no more neither thirst anymore their needs will be met they'll be protected by or from the sun that will not strike them or any scorching heat a place in the presence of God a place of privilege of protection and provision and then the lamb in the midst of the throne, that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, will be their shepherd. 
I don't know about you, but I've not been around sheep before. How about you? Anybody been around sheep? Anybody taking care of sheep? Any former shepherds here or current shepherds? We've got one here, Mel. So I, I know a little bit about cows, but I don't know a lot about sheep. So Mel could tell us a lot more than I can tell you. But I read from a shepherd talking about sheep, this image of sheep and the shepherd in the Bible. And he said, you know, the key really is in order to have a, a healthy flock, a happy flock of sheep, it all depends on the goodness of the shepherd. Depends upon the one who's taking care of the sheep. And, and, and he said, left to their own, sheep are going to graze on the same patch of land until it becomes bare. Uh, they will drink from muddy water. They will drink from water they've polluted. <laughs> they have to be led. They have to be led by a shepherd to green pastures and clean water. The health of the flock depends on the goodness of the shepherd. And, and he says, um, he talks about a time, he says, I can still see one of the sheep ranches in our district that was operated by a tenant sheepman. Somebody who really didn't, he didn't own the sheep. He was hired out to take care of the sheep. And he said, on this piece of land and in, in, in this flock, the, the land was becoming bare, and, and the flock, he says, was always thin and weak and riddled with disease and parasites, and these sheep would come over to my pasture. They would come over to my fence, and they would look longingly at the lush green grass in my pasture. But they were suffering because they didn't have a good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. How do you know that Jesus is the good shepherd. How do you know that what he says in his word is true? How do you know that he's good? How do you know that he will lead you to this place of ultimate fulfillment? How do you know that Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, he says in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus died for you. Jesus shows his love and his goodness toward you and for you at the cross. If you doubt the goodness of Jesus, look to the cross of Christ. If you doubt God loves you and that he is good, even though you're going through difficulty and confusion, would you please Look to the cross of Christ. There is where Christ proved to all of us He is the good shepherd. He was willing to lay down His life for you. He says the hired hand won't do this. When the wolf comes, the hired hand will run away. Jesus went to the cross. He faced the agony of the cross. He struggled with it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but He went forward. To the cross, proving he is your good shepherd. And so we can trust him. And so we can trust his promises. And so we can trust his word. Have you heard the voice of Jesus saying that to you? He says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. Have you heard the voice of Jesus say to you, I gave my life for you. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? 
Will you continue to follow me in the difficult times? This is the love that bolsters us to die to ourselves so that we can find the true life that John is talking about here. The true life that we long for. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Just a reminder here that we're talking about the lamb who was slain. And he's now leading a flock who have gone through suffering. The lamb who suffered will lead those who suffer. This is like, I mean, this is an amazing image. The, the slain lamb becomes the shepherd of a flock that suffered. This is the Lord that we serve, who entered into pain and death and knows it better than we do. But he's been there. It, it's like a doctor who has been through the disease that he's treating you for. There's another level, you would think, of care and connection. He's been there. Or a counselor who has struggled with some of the things that you have struggled with. This is Jesus, the Lamb who's been slain, who has suffered. He knows suffering. He knows pain. He leads His people who've gone through it. And He leads them to springs of living water. And that's an image throughout the Bible. That's a phrase, living water. This is, of course, the Middle East culture and there's not a lot of rainfall in the Middle East. In fact, I read that only a couple of months out of the year it rains in Israel. And so most of their water came from cisterns that they had to dig. And that was kind of... That was the, the, the water that was created through human effort. And that water could grow stagnant. But then they looked forward to the days of the rain, when the rain would fall. And they prized those natural springs. And they saw it, right, rightfully so, as the provision of God. This was God's water, the living water that gives us life here in the desert. And the lamb in the in the midst of the throne will be the shepherd and he will guide his people to the springs of living water, which Jesus uses elsewhere in the Gospels to refer to the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the very Spirit of God. Because we drink from, too often, stagnant waters in order to find fulfillment. And what we need is the water that God offers, which is His very presence that comes through the Holy Spirit. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit takes up residence in our life. And that, can, and that does lead to satisfaction. And then as we go through life, even as Christians, we suffer difficulty and we suffer doubts and we need to come back to the living water and ask Him to refresh us and fill us again in a fresh way, with His presence, with His Spirit. And ultimately, that points to the day when we'll be completely satisfied as He leads us to springs of living water. And then this wonderful, this wonderful phrase here. This is part of God's ultimate salvation, brothers and sisters. This is something that we look forward to. This is something that we need to meditate on in the midst of our difficulties and suffering. And when we have questions about the evil and the suffering and the pain of this world, here is an answer to that. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
God will wipe every tear from the eyes of his people. He says it again in Revelation 2.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Former things have passed away. What is it that has made you cry? Made you shed a tear? Made you feel like you need to cry? What sort of things in your life or in the lives of others or in our world today have caused you that kind of pain? We don't have all the answers to the question of why God allows certain things to happen, but we have this promise that those things don't have the last word. That these things will be wiped away. They won't be remembered anymore. And our pain will be wiped away. What a beautiful promise we have from Christ. What a beautiful promise we have from the Word of God. So friends, hear the voice of the Good Shepherd today. Keep following Him no matter the cost. And believe this good news that after suffering... And sorrow, there is ultimate salvation because of who Christ is and what he's done. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would give us the grace by your Holy Spirit. With our questions, with our pain, with our struggles. Lord, you're the good shepherd who was also the lamb who was slain, who's entered into human suffering and pain. You know. You know us. Help us to hear your voice, to continue to listen to your voice, to follow you through the cross into this great realm of salvation that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.